0: Holy Father, we are amazed. Why would you choose anybody? Why would you choose anyone at all? But you have chose a whole planet to save. Lord, we are amazed by you. This is your house. You've been here, waiting, counting the moments till we'd come right back in. We sent you here. That's why the Spirit has drawn our hearts out and we have lifted ourselves up. Oh, if we could just touch your throne room. Don't stop, dear Father, what you're doing. Don't let this human instrument get in your way. Please, I beg of you. You have a crucial teaching to bring to us today. May Holy Scripture be clear. And oh my Father, when, when we hear what we hear, show us how to go about making it real in this place, on this campus. For this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, JC. Our new husband and wife team. Glad to have them. For the sake of illustration, let's just pretend for a moment that you are the head of Of a juvenile detention center. You know what those are, don't you? Of course you do. It's a lockdown facility where incorrigible kids, teens, younger. The courts have said, listen, mom and dad can't handle it. The the, the town can't handle it. We're turning these kids over to the state or the county and... Bring them back into productivity. Make, make them good citizens again. As it so happens, we have a juvenile detention center just outside the village here. And a friend of mine, Terry Martinek, is the administrator of that center. Let's say you are. Now, you're the leader. What is your mission as the leader of the juvenile detention center? What do you got to do? <laughs> this isn't rocket science, folks. You know that somehow you have to find a way to connect with that big center filled with ruly and rebellious kids. Somehow you've got to transform them. you're the one. We're looking to you to transform this, all these inmates into productive citizens again. So what do you do? What's the number one strategy? You know, if you're a leader, you know, and by the way, whether you're working with a peaceful group or a rebellious group, the strategy is always the same in leading. You have to get close to someone in that group. Isn't that true? You've got to get close to someone. One of those boys, one of those girls, uh, one of the teens. You've got to win her confidence. You have, to, you have to engage his loyalty and then, because what's the strategy? Simple. Through the one, you know, you must reach the whole. You have to have one. Impossible. If you set out to reach that whole room of screaming memes, you will never reach the room. You've got to find one. How do you know if you got the right one? I don't know. Something in his eyes. That boy's listening to me. Something in the way the girl really does listen to you. The whole room is, is mayhem, but she is tuning you in and she's holding on to you. And you're saying, that may be the one. And so you stop by his room and just a little extra chit-chat. You stop by the table where she's eating. You want to begin to build that confidence, engage that loyalty. Now I want to ask you a question. Are you playing favorites right now with that one? Are you playing favorites? No, you are not. You are not. You're simply using that one. You've got to get close to one. And so you've picked one through whom you wish to reach the whole. Isn't that right? Absolutely. That's how juvenile detention centers work. Once upon a time, there was a juvenile detention center called Planet Earth, and it had a leader named God. And he said, how am I going to get these boys and girls into my heart? I'll find one of them. That's what I'll do. And when he found that one, he called them the chosen. Open your Bible with me, please, as we continue our series, thinking, wrestling together. What does it mean to be the chosen? Open your Bible to the Bible's fifth book. This is our theme book. Third time now we've come back to it. book of Deuteronomy, the mighty climax to the Pentateuch. First five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, we come now back to Deuteronomy. Now, I'm just guessing we probably picked up a few of you worshipers who haven't been here before. And so as you're finding Deuteronomy chapter seven, go ahead and find Deuteronomy chapter seven. I need to remind you, and in case you're new, this is this is a farewell address. It's the longest farewell address in literature anywhere. This man, 120 years old, has been tracking this crowd for 40 years, 40 long, burning, bitter years in the wilderness. Why is it taking 40? Because they've been waiting for mom and dad to die. Get mom and dad out of here. That generation rejected me. God said, I will not take them into the promised land. I'll take the boys and girls instead. Let the babes grow up. And Moses, you stay with them. You, Caleb and Joshua are older than the rest. I keep the three of you. The rest will be buried. And until they're buried, we're not going over. took 40 years to bury an entire generation Sometimes God has to give up on a generation. He said, I just, this generation, it, this generation is not going to cut it, but I'll take the kids. This is the farewell address. Why is it a farewell? Because just a few days earlier, the leader blew it. He let God down in a major public way. And I've said it twice before, I'm going to say it one more time. When you're a leader, the bar is higher for you. You can't get by with the bar down here. God expects of leaders a higher, a higher loyalty and allegiance. And Moses blew it and God said, I'm awfully sorry, my dear, dear friend. You're going to die on that mountain. The kids will cross over without you. So this is the farewell address. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We've been to these words before, but I've got to go back. I'm thinking juvenile detention center now. I'm thinking the metaphor. Can I understand why God has chosen at all? Why does he have the chosen on this planet? Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verse 6. By the way, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab the Pew Bible. It's page 128. You've got to follow this. And we're going to get out of this passage and into some other reaches of Deuteronomy in just a moment. So I have that Bible ready to go. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, New King James Version, Moses thundering to the people for you are a holy people to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. I want to tell you something Moses said. God looked down on one day onto this lockdown planet of a juvenile detention center. He saw all these rebels and he picked one of them and use it. You're the one he chose. By the way, did you get chosen because there's something physically superior about you? Did you get chosen because there's something financially? You're a cut above intellectually. Are you a cut above? Nope. Moses goes on, verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least. Of all the peoples. You're the least. And by the way, that is true not only numerically, not only, not only were they the least in number, they were the least morally. Morally. Watch this. So keep your finger right there. Go two pages over to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 9. Moses is... They, they might not have caught it the first time and so he repeats his point. Deuteronomy nine, verse six. Therefore, and understand that the Lord, your God, is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stiff necked people. Have you ever woken up in the morning with a stiff neck? It is a real pain. Moses is thundering. You are a pain in the neck to God. You're rebellious. You're stubborn. You're incorrigible. The point. God has not chosen you because you are a superstar. God does not choose superstars. That point is so critical. I wish you'd grab your your study guide right now. It's in your worship bulletin. Pull it out. Write it down. God does not choose superstars. See that study guide? Pull it out. Ushers, thank you right now. Let's get these. uh, There have to be a few people in here who got in without getting a study guide. Hold your hand up. I want to make sure everybody gets one. There is a a stunning quotation that you'll take home if you get the study guide today. Hold your hand up. And while they're doing that in the balcony in here, I want to say to those of you watching on TV, we're delighted to have you. You can get the same study guide. Just go to our website. Let me put it on the screen for you. There it is. www.pmchurch.tv You're looking for the series The Chosen. When you see that, you see what's on the screen right now, that uh, red cue ball surrounded by the white cue balls. That's the logo. Go there. This is teaching number three, and it's entitled, not a big head, but a big heart. Then it'll say study guide. You click on right there. You'll have the identical study guide that we have. What's going on in this series? That's a brand new series. We're trying to make the case that God has always had a chosen. Last Sabbath, if you were not here last Sabbath... Last week's teaching may end up being the most critical one in this entire series because we noted that God at the beginning of sacred history he had a movement and we noted 15 stunning parallels to a movement God will have at the end of sacred history 15 parallels that link the the divine strategy together you don't have it that website you just saw on the screen you go to that get a podcast I was calling somebody. In an office this last week and they said, hey, I just downloaded the podcast. I'm listening to it right now so you can get the podcast in your own leisure. You listen. The point is, we need to build a case this morning. Part three. We need to build a case this morning that when God calls the chosen, it's not a call to exclusivity. It's a call to inclusivity. It's a call to be inclusive rather than exclusive. All right, let's go. Fill it out, please. Study guide point number one. God's chosen ones are not superstars. Then what are they? Keep writing. They are super loved. We just coined a word, you and I together. They are super loved. That's the point God's making through Moses right here in verse eight. Okay, why did you get chosen? Because we're the least. Why did you get chosen? Moses goes on in verse eight, because the Lord loves you. That's it. Hit the pause button right there. You know, I was taking a class years ago in the theological seminary here at a uh, professor here. Brilliant mind. His name was Gerhard Hasel. And he was making the the point to the class. He said, hey, guys, I want to tell you something. You don't know this, but the book of Deuteronomy is an epistle of love. And I thought to myself, yeah, right. I have read Deuteronomy. That is it is not an epistle of love. Just this last week, years later, I said, "Okay, I'm going to count the Hebrew word for love there. Twenty five times in this book, the only other book that has more references to love is the would be the psalms it is an epistle of love and in fact the hebrew word right here is ahaba it's the identical word that moses the author of genesis used when he wrote the love story of uh, of jacob and rachel remember that love story so smitten is that boy with that beautiful girl that what does he do he says i will work seven long years to win your hand in marriage true or false but of course Moses says, hey, I'm telling you that for 40 long years, God has been tracking you through these burning sands, desperate to win your hand in marriage. 40 years, 40, not seven, 40 years you've been chosen because he loves you. And You know what, folks? I tell you what. Any God who would love the likes of you and me and spend 40 years trying to prove it to us. There's only one way to describe a love like that. One word. G-R-A-C-E. Grace. Grace. We buried this last week. An old war horse of a pastor and preacher. 92 years old. My friend George Renton. At his funeral right here. So I'm sitting up here getting ready for the homily. The family has chosen... I've heard this hymn hymn a thousand times, but they invited Karen Randall to bring her violin. And in the plaintive melody of Amazing Grace, sitting here on the platform this last Wednesday, I looked down at Pastor George's casket and I thought to myself, you know what? You know what? Whether Whether you are a preacher, a pastor, or a parishioner, the fact of the matter is that when it comes time to cross over, it'll always be... Because of grace. Moses says, hey, I'm telling you what, guys, you are super loved. You're not superstars. There's nothing about you that would make God want to choose you. Nobody else thought about choosing you. But God loved you just like Jacob loved Rachel. And he chose you. And in fact, Moses is onto to this love theme. You need to drop down to a verse. This is chapter seven. Drop down to verse 13. Keeps the love thing going. And by the way. Future tense. Now, God will keep on loving you. Verse 13. And he will love you and bless you, the chosen, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. Verse 14. Hold on now. You shall be blessed above all peoples. Wow, there shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And get this, verse 15, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known. Have mercy. What's going on? You know what's going on, ladies and gentlemen? God is saying, I am going to make Israel a showcase to the world. You are... They're going, to be tell it. They're going to be able to tell it by looking at you physically. They're going to be able to tell it by studying you mentally and intellectually. They're going to study you agriculturally. You are going to come out on top over and over and over again. You're the chosen. I want this for you. Above all people on this planet. Why this amazing grace, this amazing love for Israel? I'll tell you why. Moses... Drops the hints all the way through Deuteronomy. In fact, if you want to go back to chapter four, the hint, this is a a huge hint. Watch this one. Just go back uh, three chapters. Deuteronomy chapter four. Pick it up, please, in verse five. Deuteronomy four, verse five. Moses speaking. Surely I taught you statutes and judgments. Just as the Lord, my God, commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. We weren't just having a little tete a tete on top of Mount Sinai. Everything that came down from that mountain has been designed for you. What's up with that? Look at verse six. Therefore, Moses goes on. Be careful to observe them. The laws, the code of ethics, the code of behavior, the diet. Be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes. And they're going to say, wow, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Verse seven, for for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him. The NIV says, what great nation is there like us having a God so close to us whenever we pray? He's close to us. And then verse eight. And what great nation is there? That has such statutes, man, whatever the code is that these guys live by, it is paying off. What nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law, the Torah, which I have set before you this day? Ladies and gentlemen, mark it down. This is the first clue. Just just remember this. This is the first clue that when God chooses you, you are not chosen for your worth. You are chosen for his work. And what is his work? God is crystal clear to reach the rest of the kids in the juvenile detention center. I picked you out because I need you to help me reach all the rest for me. So I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you physically, mentally, financially, institutionally. I'm going to bless you so big that when they hear your story, they're going to say, wow, who is the God of this people? What is up with that? They'll say. The point is inescapable. Please jot it down. When God chooses the chosen, they are not chosen for their worth. They are chosen for his work. And there's a big difference. God doesn't choose superstars. He chooses the super loved. All right. One more. One more Deuteronomy reference. 28. Okay, the farewell address is nearing its end. I think when the series ends, we'll we'll go up Mount Nebo with Moses. We'll kind of let this poignant moment not pass us. We got it. We've got to be with Moses when he dies alone. But not now. Uh, Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Take a look at this. Boy, is God continuing to make his case or what? Verse one, Deuteronomy 28, verse one. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord, your God, will set you high above all nations of the earth. Verse two, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord, your God. And then he starts listening, listening those blessings all over again with your cattle, with your livestock, with your produce, with your wife, with your husband, with your children. The whole land is going to be blessed. What's up? Look, drop down to verse 10. Then, then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And verse 13, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. You won't be second. You'll not be second. I'm gonna make you first. Whoa. If Oh, here's the caveat. Here is the here is the conditional statement. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and you are careful to observe them. Ladies and gentlemen, mark it down again, please, in your heart. God is not playing favorites by pouring out his blessings. He's setting out the most attractive and appealing showcase on earth. And verse 10 that ends here, and they shall be afraid of you. I love the new living. It says they will stand in awe of you. They'll stand in awe of you. What is up with that campus? What is up with that university? With that people? How does the law of the juvenile detention center go? Now you write it. We left it out at the top of your study guide. Now you go back to the top. Please write it down. The law of the juvenile detention center. You must focus your heart on one so that you might win the hearts of all. That's the divine strategy. Focus on one to win them all. To win them all, you've got to win that one teenager. Win the trust, little rebel. Win the loyalty. Turn that heart around. Turn that heart to love you. And once you've got that friendship, now infiltrate. Get the rest of the kids for me. See? I'm gonna call because of your worth. It's a call because of his work. Yeah. When God chooses the chosen. Yep. Not for their worth, but for their work. Derek Kidner, a friend of mine, gave me the two volume, it's just an inspirational two volume commentary of, of of the Psalms, Derek Kidner. And he makes this point. I'll put it on the screen for you. It's not in the study guide, but I'll put it on the screen for you. God's little nation was his beachhead, not his boundary. Isn't that good? Take a look, leave it on the screen. Leave it on the screen because you have to look at it. God's little nation was his beachhead and not his boundary. You know what a beachhead is? We're in a war over in Iraq right now. I got a son-in-law living in Baghdad right now as a medic with the U.S. Army Rangers. What's a beachhead? A beachhead is when the troops go in and they establish a presence. What's the purpose of the presence? So you can continue to expand. You don't put your boundary there. The beachhead is your first step to taking the entire whole. So Israel isn't God's bound this far. These are all the people on this planet I care about. Are you kidding? It's a beachhead in this detention center. And now I'm going for the rest. All right. That's the calling of Israel. Case in point. Let me share now. Let's take a little breather here. Let me share a couple stories with you. To prove that that, in fact, has been God's strategy from the beginning. Tell me who the wisest man in the whole world is outside of your father. Who's the wisest man in the whole world? Huh? What's his name? King Solomon. Everybody knows the story of King Solomon. You think about King Solomon. This is a little re- reality check time, by the way. Was Solomon an old man when he became wise, or was he young? Huh? Young. You're absolutely right. He was a very young man that night when God came to the newly coordinated king in a dream, and he asked him, What do you want from me? You're starting your leadership here. What do you want from me? And you know what Solomon, you know what Solomon says to him? He said, I'm but a child. I'm just a baby. I can't. I don't know about going out. I don't know about coming in. But I have this one request of you. Oh, God, I wish that you would give me an understanding heart that I might discern the difference between good and evil. Help me to know the difference. That's why we need leaders. Leaders are supposed to know the difference between good and evil. When a leader is not sure of the difference between good and evil, the community then begins to flounder. The leader must know the difference. God, give me a heart. To know the difference between good and evil. And God is so pleased with this kid who's asked for wisdom that God says, you know what, boy, I'm not only going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you a long life. I'm just going to bless you. And what happens? You've got to see this in your Bible. Don't read it on the screen. Find it in your Bible. 1 Kings. Look at the story of Solomon's reign as it begins. 1 Kings. I know the story ends tragically. We forget the ending. 1 Kings chapter 4. We're thinking about the beginning when he got it right. 1 Kings chapter 4. What's that page number? 1 Kings chapter 4. It's page 235 in your pew Bible. 1 Kings chapter 4. Okay. Take a look at this. First Kings, chapter four, verse 30, Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled, the wisdom of all the men of the East. Remember the Magi, the wise men were from the East. They are noted on earth for their brilliance, their intellectual acuity. Solomon's wisdom exceeded all the wisdom of the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt Drop down to verse thirty two. Solomon spoke three thousand proverbs and his songs were one thousand and five. Verse thirty four. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Boy, I'm going to bless you so good that when a word gets out, they're going to come to you. Just remember what to do when they come to you. And all the men, it says, came. And by the way, the women came too. A woman in particular. Go over here to chapter 10. She's the queen of Sheba. Go over to 1 Kings chapter 10. A woman came too. Because the word had gone all the way down to the Gulf of Aqaba. gotten all the way down to little Iden. I've been there as the a boy. Tiny little desert kingdom. Verse. 10, this is verse 1 of... Of First Kings 10. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon and notice this concerning the name of whom is it concerning the name of Solomon? No. Concerning the tribe of David, the lineage of David. No. Concerning the name of the Lord. I've heard about you, but I've heard about the name of your God. When she heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him. I wonder if this university is really as bright as they say. I'm going to test you. Verse three. And so Solomon answered her all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. I'd like to have that on your transcript. Verse ten. No, verse nine, rather. Verse nine. Blessed be the Lord your God. Who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord Yahweh has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. The heathen queen praises the God of King Solomon. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, what has just taken place? God says, I'll choose that boy. And through the chosen one, through choosing the king of Israel, God was gunning for the queen of Sheba. He got her because the chosen was cooperating with him. That's always been the point. He chooses, not for your worth, but for his work. Wow. Let me give you one other example. Only this, this one is not a king, he's a captive. Far, far, far away from his hometown. He is just enrolled in a pagan university. And when he discovers how the majority on that campus were living... He said to himself, I refuse to live like the majority on this campus. I don't care what they eat. I don't care what they drink. I don't care where they party. I don't care because I have read the book of Deuteronomy and I happen to know I am chosen too, and I'm a part of the chosen people and I shall live in loyalty to my God. And when Daniel made that choice, it was a tough choice, by the way, because the riding with the tide and going with the flow is the opposite direction. And he said, no way. I purpose in my heart not to defile myself. I will not put that to my lips. I will not do it. And what happened? You know the story. It's one of our favorites, isn't it? When it's over, three years later, Daniel and his three buddies, who all four of them stood together. By the way, if you have a friend around here on this campus who has the same moral convictions you do, hang around with that friend. Build, build a critical mass. That's how God works. He doesn't, need, he doesn't need 40. He can work with four. He can work with four of you. I know that the others are saying, nah, that isn't the way we live. No, you just stand. You stand, just the four of you. You watch how God will permeate an entire institution through just four. He did it with the Babylonian Empire. He can certainly do it with you. Let's put it on the screen. Look at the reaction of the pagan king. Daniel chapter one, verse 20. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which king Nebuchadnezzar examined them, he found these boys, these chosen ones. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and all the astrologers who were in his realm. Hands down. These guys are at the top of the pack. Top of the pack. In fact, that boy, Daniel, has made such a profound impact on this pagan king. Watch this. Daniel chapter two. Look at the king. The king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. Since you boy, since you could reveal the secret to me. Do you know what, ladies and gentlemen? Let me just remind you, in case you've forgotten that that boy who graduated from the university with honors, that boy became the strategic divine instrument to convert. Pagan Nebuchadnezzar into a full, believing convert of the Lord God of Israel. A pagan. Do you know what that would be like? Here's what it would be like. It would be like you bumping into Osama bin Laden. I'm serious. Nebuchadnezzar was as ruthless a terrorist and ruler. It would be like Osama bin Laden getting close to you and through your moral witness as the chosen. You have such an impact on him. He chooses the God you worship. This is not a small little story here. And that's why Israel was the chosen. I wish I knew who wrote this piece. I found it in my sabbatical a few weeks ago. The piece is anonymous. I'd love to give credit to somebody. It's the most, it is the most cogent piece that I have read anywhere describing God's mission. What could have been God's mission and vision for Israel. It's found in the Bible commentary. And the reason it's, uh, it's in the section of general articles and they're unsigned articles. I'd love to give credit to somebody. It's a two-page article. I'm not going to give you the two pages. There is a paragraph from that article. I put it in your study guide. This is something else. What could have been with the chosen? Look at your study guide. The mater- you see that there? The material advantages that Israel enjoyed... Were designed to arrest the attention and catch the interest of the heathen for whom the less obvious spiritual advantages had no natural attraction. Hold it right there. You know what? In a pagan world and we're vastly becoming as a nation, a very secular nation. But, you know, you can go around and say, hey, I wish you had what I have because I don't have guilt anymore. And you know what that you know what your secular postmodern friend is saying? I don't have guilt either. I never had guilt. There's nothing that bothers me. So you can't offer these little intangibles. You can't say, I have peace of mind now. Everybody's got peace of mind. If you drink enough. I got peace. I don't need what you have. You know what the pagans are saying? Where's the beef? Show me the money. Show me the money. And God said, I understand that language. I'm I'm going to materially bless these people. So that when they see the material blessings, they'll go for the intangibles. Brilliant. Whoever this writer is brilliant. Keep going here. Now he's he's cold from the Old Testament, and there are a few verses put in, in inserted into the quotation to support his conclusions. They, the, the the heathen, would gather themselves together and come from far, from the ends of the earth, to the light of truth, shining forth from the mountain of the Lord. Nations that had known nothing of the true God would run. Isaiah 55. They would run to Jerusalem because of the manifest evidence of divine blessing that attended Israel. Oh, now hold on. Uh, Ambassadors from one foreign country after another would come to discover, if they might, the great secret. Of Israel's success as a nation and its leaders would have the opportunity of directing the minds of their visitors to the source of all good things. Hit the pause button right there. I got to tell you a story real quick. Can I tell you the story? Once upon a time, there was a king. He's on his deathbed. He is dying. He's so sick. And God calls the king's friend. The prophet had to be happened to be a friend of the king. And God speaks to the prophet. He says, Isaiah, I need you to get to Hezekiah. And I want you to tell him he's right. He's dying. In fact, you give the message to Hezekiah. Put your house in order. Prepare to meet your God because it's over. So Isaiah slips into that death chamber. There's the king battling for his life. And Isaiah says, King, put your house in order. It really is over. And Hezekiah bursts into tears. It's so bad that the prophet who loves the king, he can't handle it. He has to leave the room. Hezekiah, when the prophet's gone, weeps. He says, God, I don't understand this. I've been a faithful leader. I've led in a revival. I've I've really tried to stay true to you. How could you let me down now and let me die? And he's sobbing. And Isaiah has hardly made it to the palace courtyard when the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, Boy, stop it right there. i got some further instructions for you. I just changed my mind. His tears got to me. Hezekiah got to me. You go back to him. And you tell him, 15 more years. Oh, Isaiah, there's a skip in his step. There's a whistle on his lips. He come marching back in. The king sees the guy smiling. What's up with this? Oh, king, live forever or at least 15 years. God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. So Isaiah sets out to put a little poultice on the boil. Kind of, you gotta, you gotta cooperate with God, natural remedies plus divine healing. So he's putting this little thing on the boil. And Hezekiah's thinking, hey, 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 wait, wait a minute, prophet. How do I know that I'm really gonna have 15 more years? Isaiah says, oh, king, you chick, you, you choose. You pick a sign. Let's do this. You have a sundial out in front of the palace? Do you want the shadow to go forward 10 degrees or go backwards 10 degrees? And the king thinks to himself, man, all sundials go forward 10 degrees. I want it to go backwards, he said. And sure enough, the sundial shadow went backwards. The king is healed. I tell you what, a miracle like that spreads to the furthest corner of earth and the Babylonian empire hears it and when they hear that the king of Judah got healed supernaturally healed and even the sun went backwards they're sending an ambassador and an envoy and a whole delegation and when they show up in Jerusalem are you the king? Are you the king that got healed? I am? I am? How did it happen? And you know what? It is one of the saddest meltdowns In the divine mission of Israel, this was a home run pitch to say, if you only worshiped the God I do, it could happen to you. How did it forget it? Let me show you my treasures. Come on, guys. And he opens up the treasure house of Judah to these ambassadors. They went home. Not having heard a word about Israel's God, but they went home with a map to Israel's gold. Can you believe it? They showed up saying, what's up with this campus? What is up with you people? What are we going to do? Show them U.S. News and World Report? What are we going to do when they want to know? That's what might have been. This writer writes, its leaders would have the opportunity of directing the minds of their visitors to the source of all good things. One last sentence. And you have to fill this one in. From the visible, their minds were to be directed to the invisible. From the seen to the unseen. From the material to the spiritual. From the temporal to the eternal. The house of God in Jerusalem would eventually be called an house of prayer for all peoples. End quote. The very words chiseled above the door... Entry to the Pioneer Memorial Church. That was the dream, ladies and gentlemen. That was the passion of God for the chosen. Do you suppose it still is? Do you suppose that God still hopes against hope that there might be a people who by receiving the divine blessing might become a showcase to a skeptical and wondering society? Huh? I mean, you think about it. When God once, when He began in that juvenile detention center, and He had to, had to pick a boy. He picked a boy named Abram. Growing up in a pagan family, He said, Abram, I'm picking you. Do you know why God picked Abram who became Abraham, the father of the chosen? Jot this down in your study guide. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. God says, I will make you, Abram, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Why, God? Why, why, why have you chosen me? So that you will be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the truth of the chosen. Keep your pen moving. The point of the blessings is to point to the blesser. That's the point. So when they walk into your dormitory room, what are they drawn to? When they walk into my house, what are they drawn to when they walk onto this campus? What is it that draws them? Has God chosen you in order to bless you? Has God chosen us in order to bless us? Has he? When they walk into your medical clinic, your hospital, when they walk into your office, your workplace, when they walk into your classroom, What is the source? Where does the pointing go? You thought that you had this athletic prowess because God needed one more superstar, a super jock on this planet? No, my friend. You have athletic prowess for a reason, a divine intention, that through that prowess, God can reach people nobody else can reach. You have intellectual brilliance, do you? Your scores were high and you got into into Andrews on scholarships. You think it's so that God can spread the word of who you are. No, it is not. You have brilliance today because God says, I need brilliant minds to represent me in a skeptical world. You are chosen not to glory in your ability to sing, not to glory in your ability to think. You are chosen so that you can point to the source of your blessings So what do people think about when they come around here? When they read Focus Magazine, what is the message? When they read the student movement, what is the message? When they listen to W.A.U.S.R. radio, what's the message? When they listen to the Pioneer Memorial Church, what's the message? The point of the blessings is to point to the blesser. That's why God had the chosen in the beginning. And that is why, ladies and gentlemen, God will have the chosen at the end. It's the point of the blesser. God says, listen, listen, listen. Follow me. I love you. You're nothing. Zero, nada, nothing. But I love you. Follow me. Obey me. Those laws about what you eat and drink. Stay true to me. They're going to do studies on you eventually that will establish there is an edge to what I've given you from the beginning. Stay with me. That intellectual brilliance, just like Daniel, will be traced to me. Stay with me. Financially, I'll lift you. Institutionally, I will raise you. Not so that the whole world will rise up and applaud you. But so that the world might know there is a God in Israel and he still blesses the chosen. I haven't picked you for your worth. I have picked you for my work. I need you to reach the world for me. So when they come onto campus and they say, what's up? You speak up about me. Not you. Not you. You speak about me. Don't be so timid. Quit being so politically correct. Stand up and speak up for me. That's why I chose you in the first place. When the blesser of all humanity was on his way to the cross, Jesus said something mysterious. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Could it be the reason why few are chosen is that the many who are called have forgotten that the point of the blessing is to point to the blesser? That's the point. That's the point. For the chosen. Let us pray. Oh, God, many called, but few chosen. Holy Father, please do not let us leave. In forgetfulness of this high calling, we are not superstars, but because of your superabundant love, you've picked somebody in the det- detention center. Could you be the one to help me reach the rest? Oh God, look down with mercy and grace upon this campus, upon this church, upon this community. Upon this nation, to whom much is given, much will be required. We want to be chosen. Just like Jesus said, we wish to be chosen. Please, faithful to Him, let us all live. Amen.